Hi, and welcome to Perspectives on Perseverance with Dr. Mark Ballard, President of Northeastern Baptist College in Bennington, Vermont. At NEBC, we are committed to developing the mind of a scholar, the heart of a shepherd, and the perseverance of a soldier. This podcast seeks to provide biblical, historical, and contemporary perspectives on perseverance that will help you persevere in your walk with the Lord and in your service to Him, to His people, and His creation. I'm your host, Joe Ferguson. This is Season 2, Episode 7, and today we'll be continuing to look at President Ballard's sermon series in chapel, and we'll be focusing primarily on God's third institution as we look at the three institutions that we've established, uh, or, or that we've recognized. We have not established them in any way that we've recognized in the past few chapels. President Ballard, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Joe? <laughs> I'm doing really well. It's been a, been a good day so far. And uh, I'm looking forward to covering this topic. But before we get there, uh, I, I know we wanted to do some intro as we touch on probably the most exciting topic of the, of the three. I mean, at least for me, based on the field of interest I have. Um, but, but my question is, we do have the Perspectives on Perseverance podcast here. And, uh, and so we've been talking uh, in, the, in the past season, we talked about people that persevered. Uh, we talked about your book series, Does It Still Matter? And, and I was just wondering if you can uh, help us clarify the connection of these issues and how they apply to attitude and mentality of perseverance. Oh, absolutely, because uh, we need to persevere as citizens uh, of heaven, but also we need to persevere as citizens uh, on this earth. And, uh, of course, right now, as citizens, uh, those of us living in the United States, we're looking around and we're saying, wow, there's a lot of problems going on out there. And uh, it is a difficult time without question, probably in the whole world, but definitely we feel that uh, here in the United States, we have uh, the uh, riots that have gone on. We've got COVID-19. We've got uh, one of the most divisive elections that, um, at least in, in our lifetimes, yeah. uh, maybe ever, in the United States. And so uh, there are problems everywhere we turn. And in the midst of that, uh, there is a temptation to just focus only on being a citizen of heaven and saying, forget what's going on mm-hmm. here. And I'm not, I don't really care about being a citizen of the United States. But, but Joe, as we learned when we started this series, uh, just in, on this podcast talking about it, uh, the fact is, is that Jesus uh, actually directs us to recognize that we are citizens both of heaven, mm-hmm. yes, first and foremost, but we are citizens of the country in which we reside. And uh, Jesus intends for us to be good citizens. Uh, we also saw that uh, in the Apostle Paul, and we saw it in Peter as well in, in those early uh, early podcasts of this season. And the fact of the matter is, is Scripture is clear that God intends for us to be good citizens of whatever country we're living in. If we, Joe, if, if we were recording this podcast in China, uh, he would still intend for us to be good citizens of China. Right. Uh, and uh, though there, we would have different challenges than we have here, or if we were citizens of Iran, God's intent would be for us to be good citizens of, of Iran. And don't forget that Jesus, Peter, and Paul were citizens of the Roman Empire, right. uh, which uh, was certainly a, a corrupt time, and it was certainly a difficult time. And so, so because of that, we need to persevere in what our Lord expects of us. Right. We need to persevere not only as being a citizen of heaven, 
but we need to persevere as citizens of the United States of America. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think one of the themes, and I know, you know, we've alluded to this several times, but one of the themes I've picked up from this series that I'm really growing to appreciate, um, we, we talk about stewardship a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you and I do in our church, and it, it often uh, stewardship is resorted to, okay, this is money or talents and, and gifts and time. Um, but as, as persevering citizens with, or persevering dual citizens, uh, we steward our responsibility and our rights in our, in our governments. Uh, we steward our responsibilities and rights in the family, and we steward our responsibility and rights in the church. And, and we do, and that takes perseverance. I oh, mean, I, <laughs> you just did it. You well, just gave the third institution, the church. Uh, well, I, you know, we, I think we did that already, so I'm, I'm not going to worry about well, it. Well, but. but in this podcast, you were just talking about the third institution. And oh, you just gave yeah, it away. you're right. And uh, we had kind of mentioned that before, but uh, this was the first time today you were just saying third institution. But here we are. We're going to be talking about the church today. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that um, God does intend for us to persevere as citizens of the country in which we live. Mm -hmm. And so that would be true if we were citizens in China, that would be true if we were citizens uh, in Iran, and that is true for us here in the United States. And so even though many, with with many of the problems that we're facing today, a lot of people just want to focus on, hey, I'm just a citizen of heaven, I'm not going to worry about uh, being part of the United States. But the fact is, is God intends for us to be good citizens right here and right now. And to do that, uh, to be citizens of heaven and to be citizens of earth, we do need to understand that stewardship issue that you're, you're talking about there, Joe. Because ultimately, we're talking about God's creation, and God stewards His creation, but He delegates that stewardship responsibility uh, to people, and He does that primarily through the three institutions that we're discussing. We've already seen that, uh, that God delegates His responsibilities. And he delegates his responsibilities hum- to human beings, but through the three institutions that he established. And he, we've seen how he delegates responsibilities to the home. We've seen how he delegates responsibilities to the government. But within society, he also has delegated certain responsibilities to the church. And we, we should not confuse the church's role and the government's role and the home's role. Uh, we understand that the family is the foundational institution. And without the family, you can't really have a properly functioning government nor a properly functioning church, and so it is foundational. But the way the families relate to one another is, uh, and, and the government's role in that is very focused, as we learned last time. Uh, but this time, we look to other areas of focus that God gave to that uh, third institution, the institution of the church. And to really understand the institution of the church, Joe, there's, there's three things we, we really need to focus on. And the first one of those is we need to focus on the founding of the church. Um, so when we, when we look to the New Testament, we find a very interesting thing. During the three and a half years that Jesus was on earth, he rarely spoke of the church. Uh, in fact, uh, most of the time he spoke of the kingdom of God. Uh, and that makes absolute sense, because he is the king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and so therefore, while he was on earth, primarily he was speaking about the kingdom. He would say, the kingdom is near you. Well, why is that? Because the king was present. Uh, but he did speak of the church twice, both of them in Matthew, uh, one of those in Matthew chapter 16, one in Matthew chapter 18, 
and his focus there is about a future uh, institution that he was establishing that actually would not be fully established until he returned to heaven. Right. But uh, we pick up um, in Matthew chapter 16 where we see the founding of the church, and we see Jesus speaking about the church for the first time. And as, as you come to that text, uh, we note that Jesus is with his disciples up in uh, Caesarea Philippi, in the northern part of Israel, this beautiful place. Uh, Cindy and I have had the privilege of going there. And it's kind of a retreat place. It was in Jesus' day, and it is today. And he was retreating there with his disciples, and he asked them, uh, uh, who do men say that, that I, the Son of Man, am? And, of course, they gave various responses. Uh, some people were saying John the Baptist, some Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But all of that was really preparatory for Jesus to ask the, the most pointed question to them. And that is in verse 15, he says, but who do you say uh, that I am? And Simon Peter, of course, uh, Peter, we know him as the one who liked to speak up. Um, and he jumps in right away. And uh, Peter does that often. In fact, twice in this chapter, uh, once he's right and once he's wrong in this chapter. And this time he happens to be right. And in verse 16, he responds and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And uh, so he got it right. He, he recognized at this point uh, who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the one promised, the one promised to, uh, from the Garden of Eden, the one promised to Abraham, the one promised to David. Uh, and he says, you are the Messiah. You're the, you're the Christ, uh, the one who's going to save us from our sins. And he goes beyond that, uh, for those who, who may not understand all of the ramifications of being called the Messiah or the Christ, he said, you're the son of the living God. Essentially, Joe, Peter was saying, you are our Savior, you are God. And uh, Jesus immediately answers him in verse 17 and says, you're blessed. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, uh, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he goes on to say, and I say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that's the first time uh, that we find that word used there, and it is really about the founding of the church. And now it's important to understand the word. Now, you took Greek? What's that word, Joe? Ecclesia. Ah, there you go, Ecclesia. And so tell us a little bit about that so, word. So Ecclesia is actually a combination of two words, ek being the preposition for out, and klesia being a uh, those who are called or, or the call. And uh, and so when we have the term church, Ecclesia, we have called out ones. Okay. Great, absolutely. And sometimes people use that uh, term as a kind of a magical term, but it actually uh, was a term that was used, uh, quite frankly, Commonly. in a lot of ways. <laughs> it was used of, of all kinds of gatherings, yeah. government gatherings yeah. or social gatherings or whatever. But Jesus takes that term and he infuses it with this idea of, listen, you're called out. Now, if you're called out, that means you're gathered. And the word also has that idea of being a gathered group mm. uh, that is gathered for a specific purpose. And that is what the church is about. It is a church, it is a group of people that have been called out and they're gathered together. And so this, the word ecclesia really fits uh, the description of what Jesus was establishing in the third institution. By the way, Joe, um, uh, I've really enjoyed being able to... Uh, be on Facebook Live and uh, to do Zoom and all that kind of stuff that we've done uh, over these uh, recent months with COVID, and I am thankful for that technology. But 
But when we do that, we we can have worship services, we can have Bible studies, but we're really not the church. Uh, mm-hmm. The church is right. a gathered group. Right. And so I'm really excited that now more and more all across our country, churches are gathering again, because that is is part of what it means to be the church. Right. Yeah. And, and President Ballard, one of the things I, I think about when I look at this passage and I teach it in my uh, church planning and, and church evangelism classes um, this idea of, of gathering being common or ecclesia being common, it's fine. It, you, the, the term church doesn't have to bear, or the term ecclesia, excuse me, doesn't have to bear special meaning. And, and you look around just in Bennington, Vermont, where we are, um, there are places called churches that are not churches of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, in the sense that they come together in His honor. Right. Uh, they are gatherings of people, absolutely, and they use the name church. And I, as a Christian, I'm not offended by that. That's right. just the way they've translated it. Um, but w- what I think is interesting is when you look at Hebrews, uh, and and many people have been talking about Hebrews 13 lately with with COVID, like you just mentioned. But not forsaking the gathering of the brethren together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point being of the ecclesia or of the church is that we gather together under a unanimous confession of faith. Mm, and that is exactly right, Joe. That's what this is about. So the distinction Jesus makes here is it's my church. And right. my church is built on, and he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, of course, you you recognize Joe that uh, that that is something that's been debated in church history. Oh, about so what that frequently means. and so passionately. Uh, absolutely, and so Peter, <laughs> people say, well, Peter means rock, and so he's saying, on this rock I will build my church. So therefore, he's saying that on Peter he's going to build his church. And of course, we know the Roman Catholic Church would actually uh, say that Peter was the first pope, and that's that's what it was built upon. Well, President Ballard, considering that uh, I had the privilege of learning Greek, and uh, I also had the privilege of, in my young uh, younger days in college and in high school, building uh, sheds and gazebos for my father, I would not build a shed and gazebo on the rock that Petra describes. <laughs> I hope you would not. <laughs> Because actually, the word that is uh, here translated as P- as Peter, or as you said, Joe, the Greek word Petra, is actually a little stone, is really right. what it means. And so, really, uh, but the word that he uses for on this rock I will build my church is actually the idea of a big boulder. It's yeah, a, it's that's a gigantic a firm foundation. Boulder. Uh, for, for our New Hampshire listeners, it's like the old man on the mountain, which no oh, longer why, exists. It's too soon. Why'd you bring him up? Oh, well, you know, I, I, I drove <laughs> by there still a morning. few weeks ago. I drove by there a few weeks ago, and, and we stopped and looked to, um, to miss and mourn that the old man on the mountain fell uh, several years ago now. But, but it, it's a gigantic <laughs> boulder. And yeah. so, so really, it's actually the exact opposite. What, what Jesus is saying is, is you're a little stone, Peter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. on this rock, I will build my church. And what is that rock? It's Joe, it's exactly what you said a few minutes ago from Hebrews. It's the unanimous confession of faith. It's the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son Absolutely. of the living God. And so, so in the context here, Jesus says, listen, the way I build my church is by people, individuals, coming to realize that they're sinners without a, and they need a Savior, and that Jesus is the Christ. He is the only one who can save them. He is the Son of the living God, and He died for them, was buried, and rose again. And when we confess Him as our Lord and Savior, when we turn from our sin and trust Him, then, then that qualifies us 
to be a part of the church, and that is how Jesus builds his church. And so the, if we're going to understand this third, uh, this third uh, uh, institution that God established, we need to understand that the way into it is not by being born into a Christian family. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not by being sprinkled as mm-hmm. a child or as a baby. It's not uh, even by being immersed. Uh, it's not by joining a, a, uh, a local church, but actually what qualifies you to join a local church, according to Scripture, is the confession of faith. So first you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you trust Him as your Lord and Savior, and then you follow Him in baptism and church membership. And so uh, that is exactly uh, crucial for us if we're going to talk about the third institution to understand its founding and understand what Jesus communicates about being a part of it. Absolutely, and and one thing I found to be a, a slightly an apologetic, but more honestly, a a point of uh, worship and excitement is the way Peter talks about the the living stone in in his first epistle, uh, and he says in First uh, Peter two four, uh, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I think it Peter doesn't refer to himself as the living stone or as, as even the cornerstone in that mm. passage. He refers to Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Mm. And so Peter uh, would indeed shed the idea that he was the foundation of the church. Absolutely. Uh, I think he, he, he emphatically does sure. in, uh, in his own epistles too. Absolutely, absolutely. So, if we today we want to understand what a, what this third institution is, yeah. so that we can see how that fits into the idea of our citizenship and God's stewardship of His creation through us that He has entrusted to us. So, founded in about thirty four A.D. Is yeah, that, somewhere around there. Somewhere around and, there, thirty four um, A.D. Yeah, man, we've got a long run here. This is probably one of the longest running organizations in history. Uh, it, it is. It is. Uh, in fact, next besides to, the family and government, ne- next to <laughs> next to the family, uh, because <laughs> the family. Uh, and you know that's. Uh, that's kind of uh, it's kind of out there, but but uh, a little bit longer. But it is a significant uh, institution of all the institutions on earth, and uh, we understand that from its founding. But we also understand it from its function, Joe. Mm. Uh, I told you there were three things we need to understand about it, and and one is its founding, but the other one is its function, and we really see that begin to unfold in in the Book of Acts. Now yeah. you remember in Acts chapter one. Uh, Jesus is about to ascend, and uh, so he is with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, and they're uh, they're together. He tells them, "Don't leave Jerusalem, uh, but wait for the Holy Spirit, who he promised. And when he comes, the church will be founded, and and it will begin to to move forward." And he reminds them that uh, that he's sending the Holy Spirit, who will baptize them, and establish them, establish the the church that he had talked about only. Uh, when he was um, when he was in his own earthly ministry, and so they were to wait for that to happen. Now, when they come together, they ask a question that a lot of people ask about today. Yeah, but what about the kingdom? Uh, in fact, in fact, uh, these days a lot of people want to emphasize the kingdom over the local church. Uh, not much different, actually, than what the disciples did on this day. They, and it's it's interesting because we don't have the culture. That would make us emphasize the kingdom over the local church, but the Ab- disciples did. They, absolutely, they, they were faithfully expectant. Absolutely, and 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 so their culture, though they were expecting, 
a physical kingdom, and they knew that the Old Testament, uh, though they had ignored the prophecies about his first coming and his death, coming as the lion or lamb of God uh, to die, they did understand now those issues. But they also knew that there were ish, that there were um, uh, prophecies in the Old Testament about a, a second coming mm. uh, when he would establish a physical kingdom on earth. And so that's what they were focused on. Right. So the difference today is very often, uh, rather than speaking about the church, uh, we, we're not looking necessarily, uh, some of us are, but some people are not emphasizing a physical kingdom on earth, mm. but what they're emphasizing is just a spiritual kingdom now. And so they, the disciples in that day, they immediately go to it, and they, they ask him, verse 6 of Acts chapter 1, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So it's now the time. And Jesus responds in an amazing way, and it's important to, to hear this. First, it's important to see what he does not say. In verse 7, he does not say, listen, you guys got it all wrong. Uh, it's not a physical kingdom at all. It's a spiritual kingdom, and it's now. Uh, that's not what he says. But rather, he says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, Joe, what he actually does here is he doesn't deny a future kingdom. Uh, and of course, he couldn't deny a future kingdom. Because the promises of God are irrevocable, as Romans tells us. <laughs> and so God has promised that one day he will establish a physical kingdom on earth where Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years. And uh, the, the great news for us as Gentiles is, uh, you and I are both Gentiles, uh, Tripper over there running our, our producer and running our sound, uh, he's a Gentile, but the good news for us Gentiles is that we have been grafted in, according to Romans, and, and we get to participate in that millennial kingdom yeah. when it comes as well. But what he says is now it is not your, your, your issue to deal with that. Now's not the time. He says that the time of that is in the Father's own authority. Instead, what you shall be focused on is being my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth, which brings us to the function of the church. And so the, the church has a job to do, and as we move into chapter 2, we see the church born, and then beginning in verse 40 through 47, uh, we see the church's role and the function of the church. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think it's, uh, it's so clear um, with Acts 1-8, you know, you and I talk about Acts 1-8 frequently with the students, and um, you see this outline, and then you see immediately how being a witness for Jesus Christ takes place in Acts chapter 2, all the way to Acts 28. Um, you see the function of the church being the primary witness of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, absolutely. So as we come to uh, Acts chapter 2, 40 through 47, we see the church has been born, and now the church immediately begins fulfilling the function that Christ has given this institution. And that begins exactly where you were talking about, Joe. It begins with evangelizing sinners. Mm -hmm. uh, the text actually says, with many other words, uh, Peter, speaking about him, exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. But in the context of the entire chapter, what we find is all 120 believers leave the upper oh, yeah. room, and they are all going out sharing their faith. And because they are all sharing their faith, 
everybody is just like, what is all this? What is going on? They're drunk. And so Peter pulls them together and says, let me tell you what's going on. And he yeah. preaches the sermon. So so this idea that Peter preached a great sermon and 3,000 people were saved is only half right. Right. Uh, because actually people were responding not only to his sermon, they were also responding to, to the gospel message being shared by 120 people that even call, caused them to come together mm-hmm. to hear Peter preach. And so it's a process. And the function of the church is to evangelize sinners, and, and it's not just the preacher. Uh, it's, it's all of us engaged and involved in that process. But secondly, the second part of the function of the church is not only to evangelize sinners, but it's to edify the saints. And Joe, for time, we're not going to walk all the way through uh, this text, but in verses 42 through 46... That's what it's all about. It, it mentions different ways that we edify one another as believers. And so as we evangelize sinners, we edify saints. And as we do that, how we, how we do that is through the teaching of the Word, the Apostles' Doctrine, uh, through prayer, uh, through fellowship together, uh, through uh, serving one another, through uh, seeing God at work in the midst of it, through caring for one another. We see all of those elements uh, in there. But, but the idea is, as, a, as the body of Christ, a local church should be caring for one another, watching out for one another, ministering to one another, teaching one another, encouraging one another, and in a nutshell, edifying one another. Right. right. So, so that's the function. The function yep. of the church is to evangelize sinners, edify saints. Ah, but one more, to exalt the Savior. In verse 47, it says that they were praising God. Uh, it was an activity that was part of what they do. I, I mentioned uh, in chapel when we looked at this text that uh, about uh, California uh, back in uh, a few months ago, putting out a mandate said, okay, churches can go back to uh, worship, but they can't sing. Uh, in uh, in their church, and and that's that's problematic, Joe, because we are commanded throughout Scripture to sing. We're commanded to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're commanded to praise God, mm-hmm. and one of the functions of the church is to praise the Savior. And we do that through singing. We do it through our prayer times. We do it through testimony of God at work. Uh, but certainly, um, uh, worship and and singing and prayer. And, uh, and testimony is all part of what the church should do. So, so really the function of the church is to evangelize sinners, edify saints, and exalt the Savior. Absolutely, yeah. And that's a, that's a very simple um, outline of the, the function of the church and, and its purpose. Uh, but, you know, we, we've got one more step here to look at. And so we, we've talked about the founding. Yep. And we've talked about the function. And I know you, President Ballard, there's, there's always a purpose, there's always a mission, but there's also a vision, and, and we know that Jesus Christ gives us the vision as, as to what the church will be someday. So I'm guessing we've got another F um, for, for our third point here. Absolutely, and so to really understand the third institution, the church, you need to understand not only uh, those that you mentioned, its founding and its function, but we need to understand its future. And uh, there are many places we could go in Scripture to to see that, but I love John 14 uh, on the last night that Jesus is with his disciples, and he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you Mm -hmm. may be also. Joe, this is a perfect picture 
of a Jewish wedding. Uh, in, in the Jewish days, uh, what would happen when a man uh, decided on who he wanted to marry, he would go to her family and he would talk to her parents and say, hey, I have put my eyes on your daughter. I want her to be my wife and to, to be with me forever. And they would they would talk about that. Um, sometimes they would let uh, um, they would bring her and say, her, what, what are your thoughts on this matter? And the family would have a discussion. And when that discussion was settled... That sounds um, so intimidating. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you've never experienced that, have you? No, I have not. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't plan to do it that way. Well... We'll, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, at least, you will go and, and speak to her family. Well, about yeah, it. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully. Sometime when we have more time, maybe I could tell you a story about going to Cindy's dad. And oh. That was, that was pretty interesting. Oh. Uh, he, he made it. He made it real interesting. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, we'll save that for another day. But, but that's what would happen in the Jewish time. But right. it wasn't an engagement following that like we do today. Uh, but in the the Hebrew tradition of this day, what they would do is they would actually have a wedding ceremony right then. And you, boom! Wow! Yeah, boom! Get hit. It was done. It was. That done. sounds like Vegas to me. Well, not exactly, <laughs> because what would happen is it was legally binding, but you did not live together. Mm. Ah, yeah. So what would happen is you it was legally binding and you could not get out of it except for by divorce or death. Uh, but there were very limited conditions uh, by which you could get a divorce uh, from that betrothal period. Mm. So for all practical purposes, um, you were married except that you didn't live together. Instead, what would happen is the groom would leave after that and yeah. he would go back to his father's property. And his father would give him a, a section of the property, and he would build a house, and he would prepare well, a place for his bride. And as I understand, um, historically, it was usually just an addition onto the to the father's house. It, it all depended on the. Uh, it all depended really on on the father's capability. Right. Yeah. You know, if if he had, you know, if he had a hundred acres, he might give him a right. few acres. But if it was in a city or something like that, very often it, it could be just yeah. an addition to the to the house. Uh, but you never knew how long it would take. Um, generally, it would be nine months to a year. Uh, but but uh, the groom would just be gone. He would just be working, working away, getting everything ready. And uh, as it got closer to that nine month to to a year time, the bride would be wondering, is is he coming today? Nobody would know when. Um, but then there would come a time when he was all finished and would tell the father, I'm done. And the father would look it over. And, uh, if he agreed, he would say, uh, he would say, son, go get your bride. And, uh, so they would, uh, they would gather together. The family would go with him. They would pick up neighbors along the way and, uh, they would have a big wedding party, uh, going to, uh, the bride's house <laughs> and, uh, they would get there and uh, surprise it's done. It's ready. And uh, man, they that would... must have been something else for the bride to just wait and not know. Oh yeah, yeah. I have no idea when, but could could know that hey, it's got to be getting close. Yeah, but but not know for sure what day yeah. it would be. And then 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 they would come. Maybe in the day. Maybe at midnight. Uh, maybe maybe some other time. Didn't know. Just it's time. It's here. It is. Mm -hmm. And they would have a a, a wedding feast. Uh, they would at, at that point, and then the the bride and groom would would. Uh, then go back to their home to begin their life together. And that is the picture that we see here 
that Jesus conveys. He says, listen, Mm -hmm. I am going away, but I am going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house, and I am coming back. And, And listeners, that is the future of the church. Yeah. We look forward to the day uh, when the church is united as one. You know, a lot of people talk about uh, the big C church uh, today, whereas most of the time in the New Testament, the, the word church is uh, in context, maybe every time, but certainly all but one or two uh, is talking about a local church right. because we can't gather the whole church. Even if we could get every believer on the face of the earth together in one place, which we wouldn't be able to do, but if we could, we still wouldn't have the whole church gathered Mm -hmm. because there are people in heaven that have have died trusting Mm -hmm. Christ. And by the way, they can't get together in heaven right now either because we're here. Right. And uh, yeah. and so so the focus in Scripture is on the local church. Absolutely. And from this point forward in, in the book of Acts, uh, where we were at a few minutes ago through the rest of the New Testament until we get to Revelation, the focus is on a local church. But then we look to the future when there will be a uniting of all believers of all times, and the church will be gathered in heaven. And by the way, when that happens, we'll no longer be citizens of the United States of America. That's true. So it's a future that we have to look forward to, not a present reality today. Today, we are part of a local body of believers, and God has a purpose for our church, and that purpose for the church is to fulfill the function, understanding the founding, and looking forward to the future. Amen, and even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us, President Ballard. It was a a pleasure and a privilege to go over this uh, section or this series again. Um, Thank you for joining Perspectives on Perseverance today. Uh, If you'd like to know more about Northeastern Baptist College, please visit us online at nebcvt.org. If you have a question that you'd like to send in for Lion's Den, we'll be having a Lion's Den next week, so be uh, sending your questions in for us. You can email that to perspectivesonperseverance at nebcvt.org. We are so thankful for your faithful listening uh, to our podcast. We hope that it blesses you and encourages you. And just remember, no matter what today may bring, persevere and have a great day in Jesus. From the heart of the Northeast, for the hearts of the world, we will persevere as soldiers to the right or left. We will not veer.